Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who would like to point out that it's not impossible, Dan. The answer is 544. Here is the captain. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. This week, we are featuring Lost Galaxy IPA by the good folks over at Lost Nation Brewing. This is a wheat-based session IPA with a crisp body with malt, plenty of hops, and balanced out nicely with a fruit finish. Simply crushable. Garage grade four out of five bottle caps. And here's some please and thank yous that are going to go out to our good friends that helped us out with this week's beer fund. First up, a big Ron Swanson please and thank you goes out to Melissa and Hookset. New Hampshire. And a big we like your jib to Jessica in Cincinnati. Next up, here's a cheers to Melody in Riverside, California. And a big hey, hey, hey to Heather in Seattle, Washington. Here we have a cheers, a long distance cheers to Shane in Cork, Munster, Ireland. And last but certainly not least, we have Megan Caps in Parts Unknown. Everyone we just mentioned, well, they went to truecrimegarage.com and they clicked on the donate button. And for that, we thank you. Yeah, B-W-E-R-U-N, Beer Run. If you want to come see us live, we have a few tickets left to our Nashville show. Tickets are available at truecrimegarage.com. And make sure you sign up on the mailing list. And, Colonel, that's enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. We can go get away. We can take the way home. I need water. No place we can go get away. We can take the way home. I need water. Fallbrook, California, February 2010. Most of the following comes from an article written by Robert Jablin for the Associated Press. The article headline says what everyone was thinking. Disappearance of family of four is all a mystery. And that was the truth. The article was just days after a very normal and happy family of four disappeared. By the looks of it, they just vanished. In fact, given the state of their home, it would appear that the family was here one minute and then the next, poof, they were gone. The home was found empty of people, but everything still very much in an everyday living mode. With rooms freshly painted, blue painter's tape still covering the ceiling corners and woodwork, eggs sitting out on the kitchen counter, bowls of half-eaten food, and the family's two dogs out in the backyard. So yeah, by the looks of it, 
They just vanished. And now for the aforementioned news article, which states the details of the disappearance clearly and concisely and reads, the McStays haven't been seen since February 4th. Their car was found at a mall 70 miles from home. A middle-class family of four vanishes, leaving their dogs unattended and rotting food in their San Diego County home. Their abandoned car is later found near the Mexico border. It might sound like a TV mystery, but the reality has relatives of the McStay family pleading for help and law enforcement searching both sides of the border for clues. Joseph McStay, 40, his wife Summer, 43, and their sons Gianni, 4, and Joseph Jr., 3, are the missing. The family has not been seen or heard from since February 4th. Their white 1996 Isuzu Trooper was found four days later in a strip mall, about 70 miles from their home. San Diego County Sheriff Lieutenant Borregos says, It's all a mystery. Is the vehicle down by the border a ploy? Were they voluntarily missing? Were they taken against their will? Just for a family of four to disappear, I've never seen anything like it. Joseph's brother, Michael, went to the home on February 14th to check on the family, but only found the dogs. He called authorities the next day and investigators found no signs of a struggle. Still, Michael McStay said he fears for the lives of his family members and feels helpless. Neighbors said they had been feeding the animals, but had heard nothing from the family. Acquaintances told investigators the McStays never would have left on vacation for any other reason without telling someone. Relatives have set up a website seeking information about the family's whereabouts at www.mcstayfamily.com. This week's true crime story is about the McStay family's disappearance and the investigation to locate them. This is True Crime Garage. As you heard, it was February of 2010 when a family of four went missing. This is the McStay family from Fallbrook, California. Now, what I would like to do here, Captain, is start off by going through a timeline. This is a timeline of the general events that were taking place before and after their disappearance, and this is considered to be agreed upon as a factual timeline. And we will kind of read these as bullet points here, Captain, and fill in the blanks as we go along. But like the sheriff's office said in that article, it was all a mystery. A family of four to go missing all at once with no leads as to potentially where they could have gone or what could have happened to them was all a mystery. Let's start off with late 2009. So this would be November before they went missing. We have the whole family, the McStay family of four. They move from San Clemente to Fallbrook. This is around Thanksgiving weekend. Now keep in mind, they will go missing in February the following year. So the home that they are living in at the time of their disappearance, they're relatively new to this home. And from my understanding, this was a property or a home that was once foreclosed on, which makes sense when you see the year 2009. Remember, we had the market crash, the housing market crash around that same time. This is a home that had been foreclosed on that the McStay family moved into for their growing family into a nice area, a very quiet, safe neighborhood, but also they're going to be doing some renovations and cleaning up the place and updating the place, probably in hopes to make a little bit of money, right? We have Joseph McStay, who is an entrepreneur. At the time of his disappearance, he is 40 years old. He owns his own company and the company has had some success. So that takes us to February of 2010. On February 3rd, we have a friend that comes over to the McStay family home. This friend comes by to help paint 
and help do some general remodeling inside the home. This is believed to be the last or one of the last known face-to-face interactions with Summer McStay and the two young boys, the two young sons of the family. So this is someone that they knew, a personal friend that comes over and is physically there at the McStay family home. And like you said, this house is under construction. They're doing painting. They're going to be replacing the flooring. They don't have a lot of furniture in the house, and they don't have it decorated. That's correct. Now, that takes us to the next day, which is Thursday, February 4th, 2010. On this morning, we have Summer, who speaks with her sister, and they are making plans for a future visit. And I underline that part in our timeline because we know at some point, based off of our trailer, that this whole family is going to go missing. And when they go missing, the sheriff's office labels the case or the investigation as an voluntary missing investigation. Which I think is a mistake. It is a mistake, but there's reasons why they would label it or categorize it as such. Now, for this portion, though, it's key to know that we do have a situation that's leading up to their disappearance where we have someone saying, I'm making future plans with one of the members of the family. Her sister is saying, hey, I have a newborn. Summer's got two young sons. We were planning a visit to so that so that my newborn child could meet their aunt, so that Summer can meet my newborn child. So they're making plans for a future visit together. Now, around noon on that same day, on the 4th, Joseph, the father, Joseph McStay, he leaves the family home in his Azuzu Trooper. This is for a meeting with his business associate, Charles Chase Merritt. So we need to kind of fill in everybody on what it is that Joseph McStay does for a living and his company. So he owns, he's the owner-operator of a company that is called Earth Inspired Products. And they make these custom waterfalls. And if you were to go into a law office or a fancy business or a business building that houses multiple businesses. Or a fancy hotel. Fancy hotel. You may have seen one of their products. And this is the, the products that I've seen. And I'm sure that they make all kinds of different products being that they are in the custom water feature, custom waterfall business. But the ones that I have seen are these fancy glass kind of ceiling to floor straight down waterfalls where the water falls and cascades down the glass. And on the glass, you may have your company logo, right? Looks very impressive when you walk into the lobby of a building. We have one in the lobby of the garage. Of the garage, that's right. In the the lobby, which leads to the west and east wing of the garage studio here. <laughs> We'd be lucky if we could afford a chicken wing. So around noon, Joseph leaves his home in his vehicle, which is an Isuzu Trooper, to meet his business associate, Charles Chase Merritt. Now, for simplification purposes, as we continue along, we will just refer to him as Chase Merritt or Chase. Now, Chase works for Joseph McStay, right? Joseph, he's the owner and operator of this business. He's the sales guy. He's also in the designing portion of what the business does. But we also have Chase, who is the builder, the manufacturer of these custom-made waterfalls. So he works with Joseph in the designing stages but he's the one that's in charge of actually constructing these custom-made water features. Everybody would say that Chase is Joseph's right-hand man. They become friends, some would say best friends, through the process of working together and growing this business. And again, the business has had some success. It doesn't sound to me like they were just a complete success, you know, falling over each other successful with just success month after month after month. But we also have a third associate, and 
I'm not going to sit here, Captain, and pretend to know all of the ins and outs and everything about Joseph McStay's business. There could have been other individuals that worked with them, maybe as a contractor or maybe even part-time or full-time seasonal employee. That I don't know. But there's going to be three major figures in this Earth-inspired products company. And again, it's Joseph McStay, owner-operator. Chase Merritt, who is the builder slash manufacturer. But then we also have a third individual, and his name is Dan Cavanaugh. And he is involved more behind the scenes, and we'll get into Dan Cavanaugh as we go a little bit further down the road here. This meeting with Joseph McStay and his business associate, Charles Chase Merritt, is in Rancho Cucamonga. Now, later, what we are told is that this meeting is going to take place at a Chick-fil-A, and it's going to be an hours-long meeting, several hours long, a casual meeting. It, checks are going to be exchanged. Plans are going to be made. They're going to be working and discussing business-related items at this Chick-fil-A at this Rancho Cucamonga location. This brings us to about 4.25 p.m. When we have an outgoing call from the home phone to Joseph's cell phone, which pings from a Fallbrook cell tower, this is reported as the last outgoing call from the home phone. Around 5 and up to about 6 p.m., there are several text messages that take place between Joseph and his wife Summer's cell phones. And just so we can get a better picture of what's going on, Joseph is the breadwinner at this moment in their lives. They have a young family, a three and a four year old, and Summer is raising her kids. Yes, yeah, she's a stay at home mother at this time while Joseph is running his company. Now we have 8.28 p.m. that evening, Joseph calls or his cell phone calls Chase's cell phone. And Joseph's cell phone pings off of a Fallbrook Tower, cell phone tower. That's important because, remember, their home is in Fallbrook. And this, to me, would indicate that either, A, Joseph McStay's phone is at his home at this time or near his home at this time, rather than being in Rancho Cucamonga at the Chick-fil-A. Right. This activity... And these phone calls will all be very important because it's generally believed that February 4th may be the day when the McStay family vanished, when something happened to change the events of their life and their timeline, and they essentially go missing. There's going to be a little confusion on exactly when this family went missing. If we all knew exactly when they went missing, well... This probably would not have been such a mystery, and they probably would have been a better investigation to take place. What we have next on our timeline, Captain, is February 10th, and this is the San Diego County Sheriff's Office that is doing a welfare check on the McStay family. There's a little confusion as to how the San Diego County Sheriff's Office was notified that there could be something wrong at the McStay family home. We would later hear from Joseph McStay's father, Patrick, who would say that I received an email from business partner, Dan Cavanaugh, who says, Hey, I can't get a hold of Joseph. I've been trying to reach him via phone, via email. I can't get a hold of him. And this Dan Cavanaugh tries to call Patrick Joseph's father, Patrick doesn't answer the phone for whatever reason, and then ultimately gets an email telling him, Hey, I can't get a hold of your son. So Patrick has a son that lives in the area. This is Mike McStay or Michael McStay, who is Joseph's brother. He asked his brother, Mike, would you go by and check on your brother? I can't get a hold of him myself. His business partner says he can't get a hold of him. To which Mike gives a little pushback. He's too busy to go over there. So what we have happen is actually a couple days go by before Mike McStay is at the home checking in on his brother. 
Now, he's also checking in on his brother at the request of his other business associate, Chase Merritt. Right. And Chase Merritt is actually there with him for one of these visits. This takes place prior to anyone calling and notifying San Diego County Sheriff's Office. And Chase Merritt says that when me and Mike McStay were there, Mike climbed through a window. This would be the office, Joseph's office window in the home to enter the home, enter the premises and goes to the front door, unlocks the front door, allowing Chase to come in. The two of them walk the home together. They don't see any obvious signs of a struggle or a break in. But the other thing is they don't see any of the McStays either. The family of four, poof, gone. No blood, no sign of a struggle. There's some debate on this conversation. The way that it has been told and reported is that Chase Merritt says to Michael McStay, we need to call the police. We need to call the authorities and report them missing. This doesn't feel right. Something feels wrong here. Right. Again, we have Mike McStay who offers a little more pushback and says, no, it looks like everything's fine. They probably just took off for a few days. I'm sure they'll be back. So we have some people that are on kind of high alert at this point. Dan Cavanaugh, Patrick, Joseph's father, and the other business associate, Chase Merritt. They all seem to be on high alert, but Mike McStay, he's pretty casual about this. And we don't know, I don't know personally a lot of his personality, Mike McStay's personality, but his brother, Joseph, is described as super casual guy, super nice very laid back, doesn't get stressed easily. So maybe the maybe this is just how it is in their family and they share a similar personality. And Mike is going, well, maybe they took off for a few days on an adventure to have some fun as a family. I don't see a big deal here. Well, I think there's a couple issues when you're in the house. You have food left out. But one of the other issues is that the house has never been put together they never made the house a home yet. So everything looks a little out of place and everything looks a little disorganized. So one can make the argument of, well, it doesn't seem like there was a struggle here. The other person can make an argument, well, this house was never really put together. At this time, their dogs are outside. When the brother is sitting there, when Michael is saying, well, I'm hopeful that they just went on vacation. You just went on vacation for seven to 10 days or, or maybe even two weeks and you're going to leave your dogs outside. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. No. And in fact, being a dog guy, I get furious at people that I hear tell me, oh, you know, they're out staying the night somewhere. They go straight from work out with their friends and then stay the night somewhere and never went home to let the dog out or never went home to feed the dog. I get furious when I hear that. I would have been on high alert. I'm with you. The, the the home, to me, I don't know that any regular person or even somebody that knows them well could walk through the home and decide if there's been a struggle or if things are out of place or disturbed or disrupted, what have you. But the dog thing would really put me on high alert. And the other thing, too, that, that rubbed me the wrong way about Michael McStay's thoughts and feelings was... I get what you're saying. Maybe they took off for a couple days. Okay, maybe they're being negligent with their dogs for whatever reason or made arrangements with neighbors to feed the dogs and we'll just leave them out back. Right. Not being able to get a hold of them, not being able to get in touch with them is what would concern me. Heck, on the way here, I text my brother-in-law and said, hey, I think I just saw you down the street, wanted to say hello. He goes, nope, that's not me. I'm in Louisville. So... It's it. I think that it's odd that, that someone's gone and you can't get in touch with them. And that's what would put me on high alert. Now, these other individuals convinced Mike McStay to contact the sheriff's office. And this will lead to a visit on February 15th when we have Mike McStay there with deputies from the sheriff's office to do a quick sweep inside the home. Now, note here that Mike McStay once again has to climb in the window and go and unlock the front door of the home because technically the sheriff's office does not have a search warrant at this time. They're just going to simply go in, take a look around, see if they see any obvious signs of a crime. 
And if they do not, they're going to leave. But officially, the McStay family is reported missing by this time. Note the date, February 15th. Later, we would be told that we believe that they went missing or something happened to the McStay family on the 4th. I can't say with 100% certainty when Mike McStay was notified of this. We do have several family members who are aware that something is wrong. We do have several business associates that are aware that something is wrong. But to me, that seems like a lot of time that has passed from when authorities later believe something happened to the McStay family to when anybody is actually reporting this and people are on scene looking for the family, looking to see if there's any obvious signs of a crime. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved 
and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need to pack a lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. And we are back to the windows, to the walls. Cheers, me mateys. Cheers, Kevin. Like you were stating, the McStay family, they rule it an involuntary disappearance. I think this is a huge mistake. You hear law enforcement state that when we get to a scene of a crime, if we have bodies and we don't know what happened, we assume the worst. Why not in this situation? Why wouldn't law enforcement assume the worst and then work backwards? That's a good question. And I'm not going to go down the road of of what a job, what kind of job that they did on this case early on. I don't really have a strong opinion either way. I'm pretty down the middle on on my thoughts on that, whether they did a good job or a bad job. What I will say is this, though, is a good detective should be working off of fact and factual information. And unfortunately, at this time, when deputies go to the home and detectives get involved, what they have here is missing people. That's the fact. They see nothing at their home that would indicate to them that there was foul play or an abduction or a break-in or anything of that going on. And so they have to categorize it something. So that is the category that was given to it based off of the facts that were known to law enforcement at that time. Now, we do have the detective who was on record saying, yes, when I saw the home, I only knew one thing, that I had four missing people. Now, in my mind, because of my job and because of my experience, I am always concerned with a potential homicide. So while he, he can categorize it as voluntary missing, because there's no other indication that it is anything other than that. He also states that the thing he was majorly concerned with is not so much the missing adults. We have missing children here and they're young children with no explanation from anybody in the family as to why they may be missing or even hints as to what was going on with the family as to why the kids would be missing. You know, he says that often in his line of work, what he sees when we have missing children is a parent may take off that there's some kind of fight and one parent leaves and the other parent takes the children and goes looking for them. However, in this situation, they have everybody on Summer's side of the family and everybody on Joseph's side of the family saying everything's great. They loved each other. The family was great. Business was wonderful. Their home was great. Their lives were great. You know, everything's great. So he has no explanation or even no hint as to why the children would be missing. Now, we talked a little bit about the home and you gave a good description of that, but I think that we should go a little more in depth with that to take a look at what the police, what the authorities were seeing when they walked through 
the home for the first time. And this is from a San Diego news outlet. This is NBCSanDiego.com, where in March, okay, so they're officially missing by February 15th, according to the timeline that we just went through. But this is from an article from March of 2010. This is Mike McStay, Joseph's brother, who is going through the events as well as what the home situation was like when they found it with reporters. They lived in the 3400 block of Avocado Vista Lane. The brother says that the home had been cleaned and vacuumed since the family had disappeared. Cleaned by his mother, Susan. Susan Blake, who is no longer with Patrick, cleaned the home after the family had disappeared and before this interview took place. And I'll read directly from the interview. It says, Inside the house is a moderate level of disarray, mostly because the home was in the process of being remodeled, according to Mike. Four upstairs bedrooms are, for the most part, empty. Several children's toys, including a large playhouse, remain in the home. The master bedroom is empty. Furniture had yet to be delivered, said Mike McStay. In a walk-in closet, Mike McStay said several purses were found but not, but did not appear to be currently being used. Downstairs, strips of masking tape protect the edging of several walls. The kitchen was being repainted. Two sets of sunglasses, one of which has prescription lenses, were found on a counter. In the garage, a double stroller sits with several wetsuits resting on top of it. Mike McStay said his brother would always take the stroller on planned trips. I don't want to throw the mother under the bus, but this is another huge mistake. And, and probably what happened and what she was thinking in her mind is they're gone. They went on vacation. I came over to their house. It's in a little bit of a disarray. I'm worried about my son. I'm worried about my daughter-in-law. I'm worried about my grandchildren. So to keep myself occupied instead of worrying, I'm going to go over there and, and she cleans. And not only cleans, but she deep cleans using bleach in the kitchen and using bleach in the bathrooms. Whatever happened to this family, whether it happened at the home or otherwise, this house does not look the same when police are able to get a search warrant to officially search the home. And I'm with you, Captain. I get it. It's a very motherly thing to do. She's probably just over there doing what she thinks she can do, trying to stay busy in the time of being nervous and worried about the family. But this is, yes, this is a misstep by her mother. Or Sorry. This is a misstep by the mother. Another thing that I found that was odd, too, was Mike McStay took Joseph's computer around the same time that the house was being cleaned. And the sheriff's office basically says that, you know, this family, yeah, they're nervous, they're concerned. I'm not in a position where I'm going to tell you what you cannot do, what you should not do. Don't you dare do this. I'm in the process of trying to get a search warrant so I can look through the home as quickly as possible before they disrupt what could be a potential crime scene. But at this point in the investigation, they didn't feel that they needed to instruct the family what to do other than asking them for help. Help us to help you. Tell us everything about the family, about their home. Give us everything that you got so we can create some kind of investigation and try to locate this family of four. Well, in the process of that, they learned something that is very interesting and is going to be a kind of a strange part in this case. They locate the... Zusu Trooper. So this is Joseph McStay's vehicle. And we know that he was driving that vehicle on the 4th, but it's on February 8th. This is before that they are officially missing. On February 8th, around 11 p.m., the family's trooper, that vehicle, was towed from a parking lot, which was about two blocks away from the U.S.-Mexico border. And no one by this point has reported the family missing yet. The detective then says that knowing this area and knowing that people often will park their vehicles there illegally and then leave and go across the border, that became their number one concern. We found their vehicle in an area where that's typical behavior. So we must investigate that avenue and see if there is any evidence to back that 
thought up. Again, my eyebrows raise when you hear about the computer being removed from the home, but it could be a situation just like the mother cleaning the house that there's an easy explanation for it. I just don't know what that is other than there is a business that needs to be run. And now at this point, Michael has said that he's worried that his brother and his family is not going to return. So there is talk within the family on how or if they're going to try to continue his business because he has contracts for six months to a year out. Yes, and I'm glad that you went back to that, Captain, because that is correct, right? And that is something where I look at it and go, wow, I think it's a little fishy that one would take one's computer. But what we do know by this point in the investigation is Chase Merritt has access to Michael McStay. We know that because they are at the home together. They go through the McStay family home together at some point. It's a little blurry to me, right, if Mike McStay is involved loosely or in some form or fashion with his brother's company. But you're exactly right. We have a company that needs to be run. And now we have Dan Cavanaugh who's saying, Hey, I'm trying to do my thing. And Chase Merritt, who is saying, I'm trying to do my thing to keep this company going while Joseph is gone. And hopefully he returns soon and will be, it'll be business as usual. But in the meantime, somebody needs to access that computer and someone needs to be able to relay information or do things for us. We need someone that we can get in touch with that can act as Joseph in the meantime. So I guess when you look at it that way, you go, okay, Mike McStay has two options. Either he takes the computer and helps out Dan and helps out Chase in return. He's obviously helping his brother while his brother's gone run his business, Earth Inspired Products, or he could give it to one of the business associates and be hands off and let them take take the reins. And so I guess given those two options, if I'm Mike, I'm taking the computer myself. Well, the other reason that he might have taken this computer, Joseph, which is missing, has a very close relationship with Patrick, his father. And so Patrick knows that Dan Cavanaugh has made some threats before. They actually call him the hacker. And so it is possible that they have some kind of conversation about, well, we might need to take his computer because we don't want one of his business associates to hack into the system. Yes. And so a little clarification on Dan Cavanaugh. From my understanding, he's a partner at one point in this business. Now, what his role was exactly is not clearly defined. However, what we do know is he did set up the website for the company, for their products, and that is one method that they use to sell their products to gain potential customers. And he also figured out some kind of search engine algorithm that he tapped into to make it so that when you search for custom water features or water features or water fountains, that Earth-inspired products may be the first one or one of the first ones that come up in your search. It's the same as back when we were little kids and everybody relied on the yellow pages or the phone book for a lot of business or to find vendors that could do work at their home or at their business. And so a lot of businesses would call themselves double A concrete or triple A woodworking or my favorite ABC liquor. It makes, it puts you at the top of the list when people go looking for you and then likely would drum up more business. Like you said, it's not very clear what his role was defined as, but from the information I gathered, like you said, he set up this website. Now business websites can cost a lot of money and maybe the, the thought process is I'm not going to give you this money up front, but based on sales, I'll pay you. And so maybe in the long run, you would make more money. But at some point, this is not the typical situation when you have a website built for a company. They build the website, they get paid for it, Bye bye You don't get a check every time an order comes in. And it seems like for years that Dan Cavanaugh was getting a check when he possibly shouldn't have. But a guy makes an agreement with a business owner 
I put some of this onus on the owner of the business because it's up to the, he, he should have done his research to say, well, this is not how it normally works. And also when you buy a domain name, you as the business owner should own that domain name. So that domain name and the website could have been completely owned by Kavanaugh. And that's what he would be holding hostage over Joseph's head. And you're exactly right. It, we should point out that these are all moves that Joseph McStay either made or created or was reacting to in reaction to what Dan Cavanaugh is saying to him and their dealings together. Because the way that it's been explained to me and the way I understand it is that at one point, Dan Cavanaugh was an actual partner. Again, not clearly defined what his role was. It could just be maintaining and running the website. But at some point, the two start to part ways. At the time of Joseph's disappearance, they were ready to part ways, so much so that Joseph was buying Dan Cavanaugh out as a partner. And he had already paid him thousands of dollars to buy him out, and they were taking on a new role. And Dan Cavanaugh's future role will be to receive a monthly check for simply running and maintaining the website going forward. He will no longer be a partner. He will now become basically a vendor for Earth-inspired products. This discovery of the Azuzu Trooper being towed on February 8th, this is going to be a breadcrumb trail that is going to lead detectives right to the border of Mexico. And they want to know, could we have a situation where one, two, or all four of the family members parked illegally and just walked off into the sunset right into Mexico, never to be seen again or to live happily ever after? They want to figure out, is this a possibility here in this case? This will be at the San Ysidro border crossing into the Tijuana area. On February 8th, the same day that the vehicle was towed, that's the day that they're going to start reviewing surveillance footage at the border. And they're going to look at that surveillance footage from that day leading up to this point in their investigation when they know that the mixed day family is officially reported missing. This is quite the task because there's like thousands, if not a hundred thousand people that cross to and from that border at that point daily. Yeah. So you're going to be reviewing this, and let's talk about this for a second. We've already kind of pointed out that it's a bit of a needle in a haystack situation, right? You're looking for four people crossing the border on that day or subsequent days afterwards. However, we need to point out something that makes it even much more difficult. You don't have to be looking for four people. You could be looking for a situation where it's Joseph in the two boys. Maybe he did something to summer. You could be looking for summer in the two boys. Maybe she fled or maybe she did something to Joseph, or maybe the parents did something to the children and they're fleeing the area. And now you're just looking for Joseph and summer. Right. So out of all these people, we have a needle in a haystack. It's kind of a needle in a stack of ne needles at this point, in my opinion. So the sheriff's office they get the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children that come to their aid and provide volunteers to help them watch and put eagle-eye volunteers on this surveillance footage looking for Joseph, for Summer, for either of the boys, or all four. This is going to take some time for them to sort through this. But in fact, what they end up saying is, hey, on the same day that the vehicle was parked, on February 8th, on the same day that the vehicle was towed from that parking lot two blocks away from the border, we did spot something at a portion of the surveillance footage that called into question if we were seeing the family crossing the border. And the description is at the bottom left corner of the video, of their video screen, they say that they can see a man walking hand in hand with a child. Following him is a woman in a white jacket holding the hand of another child. And they wondered if this could possibly be Joseph, Summer, and the two boys. Now, have you seen this video yourself? I've seen stills of it. 100% recently, actually. But when this case was fairly new in 2010, 2011, and so on, 
I had seen quite a bit of news media that was on this case from Jump Street, and I believe that I had seen an actual video clip back then. But leading up to our coverage of it, Captain, I've only seen stills of this picture. I've seen the stills, and I've seen the video itself. If somebody said to me, we believe that this is the family, I would say, yeah, makes sense. I think you could make an argument it's not them because you can't see any of their features and the video is kind of grainy. When you put two and two together, well, you have this vehicle that's close to the border where people park to then cross the border. And then we have what we believe is a representation of this family. My little garage brain says it's very possible that's them going across the border. I agree with you 100% here, Captain. Now, law enforcement was upfront about this, stating that they thought the video was terrible. They thought that, yes, it could potentially be them, but the video itself, the quality of the video, they thought was terrible, so they would not say definitively that they thought they were seeing the McStay family. They just said it was a possibility. When they showed it to people that knew the McStays, in fact, we have Michael McStay, the brother, who says, that's not my brother uh, on that video. I know you can't see facial features, but Mike says, that's not how Joseph carries himself. That's not how he walks. I don't believe that to be my brother and his family. And I just want to reiterate, not to be Mr. Know-it-all, Mr. Captain Knows-it-pants. How about Mr. Knows-it-most or Mm -hmm. Knows-most-of-it? But it was a mistake, I think, by law enforcement to rule this voluntary disappearance. It's a mistake to wait as long as they did to call law enforcement. It's a mistake to clean the house. It's a mistake to disturb things in the house. It's a mistake to take the computer away. There's just a lot of mistakes that happen. And again, I just don't understand... If somebody called me from one of my siblings work, like work relations and said, I can't get a hold of your brother. I can't get a hold of your sister, whatever. I'm, I'm driving over there that day. Even if they live an hour away or even if they live two hours away, I'm texting them. I'm calling them. And by the time I get to their house and they're not answering their door, police are being called. That's how I operate. But I'm also a host of a true crime podcast. I agree with what you're saying there, Captain. I share a lot of those same feelings. I do want to point out, though, that to stay water, that those are all mistakes in hindsight. And if we're sitting in a situation where February 16th, 2010, the McStay family shows up alive and well, then none of these were mistakes. But when we have a situation where months and months and months go by and they don't come home and nobody can get in touch with them, then yes, these are all obvious mistakes. Now, as for the ruling or determination of what we're going to categorize a case, all of those things are are very fluid situations too. It doesn't stay uh, etched in stone that that's always going to be a voluntary disappearance. It's only that until they have reason to suspect or evidence of a a, a different situation. Now, one thing here that I want to point out is, as I said, when this case was pretty new and fresh in 2010 and 2011, it did get a lot of media attention, even on a national level. So this was a case that I was aware of and I was following loosely. And when there was something to be watched on TV or something to read on the internet about it, I was tuning in. I remember just thinking this would be late 2010 after they had been gone for several months. I, I even after seeing the still or the video of what could potentially be the McStays at the border. And even with their vehicle being found near the border, the way that their home was left never once made me think that they just up and left. In fact, I couldn't find anything or was never presented with any reason of why they would want to leave unless they just took a fly-by-night two-day vacation to Mexico, decided not to tell anybody, and then something terrible happened to them there. But 
the state of the home didn't make any sense. I you go back to the dogs being left outside. Un, there's no preparations made for them to be taken care of. And then the state of the home, like you said, half-eaten food is found laying out around the house. There's there's a like an apple core. There's uh half bowls of popcorn. There's eggs that are sitting on the counter. That doesn't look to me like they up and went somewhere voluntarily. So that's where we kind of circle back to the idea of, well, there must be something else going on here. And in 2010, man, I was very concerned about the movements, the statements, and the lack of the lack of effort on the behalf of Michael McStay, of his brother. He seemed kind of tuned out. Like, I don't see any problem here. I don't want to raise any red flags. Don't want to make any waves. Don't want to report him missing. Don't want to swing by the home to check on him. Oh, I took the computer. My mom cleaned the house. And then let's factor in something else. If somebody wanted to do something terrible to this family or to one member of the family, what happened on at least two occasions that we are aware of? When Chase Merritt is with him at the home, and then again when deputies are with him at the McStay home, he clearly shows that he has access to the locked and secured home by climbing through that office window on two occasions. That's almost like, that to me is a bit of a red flag going, this guy knows how to access the home when other people clearly do not. Yeah, or maybe he just used his brain when he got to the house. Maybe that was not something that he was privy to before he got there. Agreed, but... As an outsider looking in, that is something that I'm going to call into question. That's also something that's going to be put on my page, and it's not going to leave there until I'm given a reasonable explanation as to why he knows how to do that or was able to do that. Unfortunately, that is going to wrap up our timeline pretty much for 2010. There's a lot of things that happen, but there's nothing really in the investigation itself that is known to the public to carry us further down the road here or give us any kind of breadcrumb trail as to where the family may be or what may have happened to them in February of 2010. In 2011, what we end up having here, Captain, is pretty much more dead-end leads. These continue when photos were sent to the San Diego County Sheriff's Department and to the McStay family, extended family, Michael McStay, these photos were of what was thought could possibly be Summer McStay and a child that were sent to Michael McStay and the San Diego County Sheriff's Department. Of course, rather quickly, it's ruled or determined that that, in fact, is not Summer in the photo. And again, these are just more dead-end leads. In 2012, this is when we have all of the rumors that are still going around that the McStay family may be alive and well in Mexico. There was even one point where we almost had breaking news where it came out that the McStay family was found, but this time found in New Mexico, in the state of New Mexico. And this obviously turns out not to be the McStay family. This is going to take us to near the end of 2013 on November 11th. 2013, we have two off-road motorcyclists is what they're referred to in this article that I'm referencing. However, I believe that they were on dirt bikes. One of them discovers what he believes to be a bone. And in fact, it turns out to be a skull. He, he notices this in a desert area of Victorville, California. This would be about 70 miles from the McStay's home. This will kick off a 30-hour excavation project at this location, at this site. On November 13th, we still have workers excavating an area that is approximately 10 foot by 10 foot. They are sifting through dirt. They are looking for bones. They are finding bones, and they are also finding other evidence in this area. Now, two days later, on the 15th, we have the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department, which holds a news conference, at which Sheriff John McMahon confirms the identity of two of the bodies recovered from this site. 
And those two bodies are confirmed by the sheriff's office to be that of Joseph McStay, age 40, and his wife, Summer McStay, age 43. Thank you so much for joining us here in the garage. It's official. True Crime Garage listeners are the smartest and sexiest listeners in the history of podcasting. If you need more True Crime Garage for your earballs, check out our bonus show called Off the Record. You can find a link on our website at truecrimegarage.com. And until tomorrow, be good, be kind, and don't let it. You ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today.